Thank you for downloading this documentary from RTE Radio 1. For more information, visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one. At the moment now it's it's quite quiet. Probably in about 15 minutes everybody will be they'll be after leaving work and they'll be coming and you'll get this this swell of cars coming, you know. And um, by about half one there'll just be cars everywhere up and down this estate. The car you know, it'll just be black with cars. Um, inside by the mosque in here, uh, you go in here to the left and there's a, a car park that'll just be full. They'll all be jammed together, you know. Because you're very close to, to a lot of businesses here. Yeah, I mean, we're right, right next to them. There's just some people here outside the mosque, Muslims, they're just guiding the traffic in and they're just policing the area, you know, just to make sure we don't offend our neighbours. See, there's some, some people here and some people here, you know. It's October 2008. I've set out to meet members of Cork's Muslim community. I was expecting to meet people from diverse backgrounds and faraway places. The last thing I expected was to find myself on an industrial estate in Toker, just outside the city, at Friday prayer. First you stand and you recite um, the first um, chapter of the Quran, which is uh, Surah Fatiha. And then you recite another um, uh, chapter, one of the short chapters. Um, and then you bend down, you bow, um, and then you stand up again. I had assumed that all the Muslims I'd meet would be from overseas. But I found myself in the company of three Corkonians born and bred. Charlotte, Cullum and Carol Ann. Well, for me, um, I suppose the start of it was, um, I suppose... Being brought up a Catholic, I had a fun, you know, given a fundamental belief in God. But um, the there were so many um, people between me and God, you know, with Jesus, Mary, Joseph, all the saints. I mean, like the confession. When you go to confession, there's a person between you and God. But if God knows what you think before you think it yourself, why do you need to tell a third person? So these were the like questions I, I started having, and then. I went travelling. I went to um, I went on a kibbutz, like a lot of Irish teenagers or whatever. Went on a kibbutz to um, kibbutz Regavim, it was it was called. But there you've got the three religions. You've got Islam. You've got Judaism. You've got Christians. Um, I just started analyzing, questioning things. I didn't get on very well with the Israelis themselves. I didn't. Um, I found them um, very. Um, most of them, I won't say all of them, there were some among them, but on the whole, they weren't very friendly. Or that they they saw, like, if the new new volunteers that came onto the kibbutz were like new meat. It was like, and then, they, you know, they'd meet, come meet us and maybe, you know, get off with a couple of girls or whatever, and then they disappear. It, we were just like new meat. Uh, whereas I, the people, the Arabs that I worked with, um, it was different. I mean, I went to the Arab villages and I was, you know, I went to visit their homes and I suppose they were my first Islamic contact, I suppose. 
um, that was not part of my, let's say, contemplation. That was a, just a, just observation of people's lives. As I say, I, I started coming to conclusions about life, the universe and everything. Christianity and Islam and Judaism, were in, I felt that they were on the right track, but there was something missing in between. I mean, I came back, when I came back to, to Cork, I went, um, I went into the um, Holy Ghost Church on the Wilton Road, because I'm, I'm from Somerstown, actually. I just went in, and there's a huge statue of, of Jesus. And I said, I'm sure you were a very good man, but you're not God. <laughs> you know, I just, it, it was just a, a, con- a conclusion that I'd come to. Is, um, I was, had been living in London, I went back to London, and I met somebody who told me about, my, about Islam, and I was like, this isn't new to me. These are conclusions I'd already come to. And I, I got a copy of the Quran and I read it and um, I'd seen them praying and I so I'll try that, even though I didn't really know the movements, but um, I fasted that Ramadan, even though I wasn't, hadn't taken the decision to be a Muslim, but I just had to make, make the decision, this is, you know, this is what I am. When someone becomes Muslim, they're known as a revert rather than a convert. The belief in Islam is that they are reverting to a truer faith. So uh, my name is uh, Colm Gillis. I'm known the Mosque as Isa. I became Muslim in 2002. Um, I, I found out about Islam in America originally, and when I came back to Ireland from America, I became Muslim, and uh, I've been Muslim now for six years. And how did you... What was your experience in America that... I picked up a book of uh, written by Malcolm X, the American civil rights leader, and I found it very interesting. And after I picked up that book, I went out and bought the Quran. And when I when I read the Quran, I felt that this was the religion for me. I mean, I just saw people praying in in uh, there's mosques, um, in America. And I just saw people praying there because the mosques were outside in the summer. You know, people prayed outside in the summer, and that that's all I saw. I know I had no contact with uh, Muslims apart from that. And um, but I didn't become Muslim until I came back to Ireland. I found Muslims here, and uh, I just talked to them with Islam. They showed me the the practices and all that. And after that, then I became Muslim. Before I became Muslim, actually, I was I was looking at other religions. I was actually I looked I looked again at Catholicism. Let's say I'd another look at it. I'd look at Protestant religions. I I you know I peeped at other I peeped at Judaism. I just peeped at other religions, and as well as Islam. I was I was just you know, looking at Islam, I never expected to become Muslim, you know. I, I began reading the Quran more and uh, I, I became more and more interested. And uh, about that time, I lost my job. My, my workplace burnt down and I sort of had a lot of time then to, to think about things and contemplate. And I suppose it gave me time to change my life, you know, because I knew if I became Muslim, I'd have to change a lot of things in my life. And... Um, I, I met a, a brother there, he's from uh, Kurdistan, Abdul Kareem is his name, I met him and um, he brought me to the mosque. We we talked about Islam a little bit and maybe after about a week then I made the formal decision to become Muslim. My name is Charlotte Morshed, I've been a Muslim 23 years. Um, I suppose I first, it was friends of my husband that I initially met, so that was my kind of into just, you know, learning about Islam. Oh, yeah, I was born in London. Um, I'm the third of five children, and um, religion was very important to me. I came back to Ireland with my parents when we were 10 months old, so I was brought up in Cork. 
Okay, I brought up a Catholic, but I got to a stage where I wasn't getting the answers from Christianity. There was just little things that were changing. So I think then when I met my husband and I had started to learn about Islam, it just was more for me. Your family were originally from Cork? Is yeah, it an, an well, my mother was from Cork, my father was from Limerick. Um, like, I used to work in Wilton and um, we used to kind of go through Summerstown and there was some merchant navy, they, they came to Ireland to do their exams and there were some wives and we met with them. So we used to meet them quite regularly, the wives in their houses and stuff. And um, I suppose a few of the Irish girls had crushes on different... But like that, I started kind of questioning and asking things. And then I think about three months on, I met my husband. He came to Ireland. And um, that was in 1982. So he'd come to do his chief officer's exams and he was kind of back and forth between Ireland and the UK. And in 1985, I flew to Bangladesh on a holiday. I was married five days later and became a Muslim then. A few days later, I'm back on the industrial estate and the unit that houses the Cork Mosque. What was probably once a dispatch office is now a Sunday school. Is it possible for me just to, to listen here to the, to, uh, yes. to, to the students, yeah? Oh, yes, with, with the microphone. Okay. Carry on. Don't worry about me. Okay. Okay, thank you. What's that? It's a microphone. <laughs> Sorry, for the radio. For the My name is Tim, and I'm making a little documentary for the radio about Muslim community in Cork. And I'll be talking to, to Charlotte upstairs later, and I've been talking to other people. So I just wanted to hear what it's like to be in school here. Is that okay? Yeah. Can we just yeah. pretend I'm not here and talk away? And Whatever about the current here, generation of Muslims living in Ireland, the next generation will, it seems, for the most part, have been born here. Um, of the, the people in the class, how, how many of them were born in Cork? How many? How born. many of them were born in Cork? Uh, were any of you born in Cork? No. Born in Ireland? One? Most of them, I think, yeah. How? Most of them. Uh, today they are learning Quran. And uh, some hadith, which is uh, some of the saying of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu If you would like me to uh, to ask them to say uh, some of this hadith, you are okay. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "None of you will be a believer till he wishes for his brother that which he wishes for himself." Very good, Very good. Thank you. Yeah, and. How many of you know the song uh, Upsy Daisy? Me! I do! Yes, this one. You know it? Okay. Now. One, two, three. Upsy Daisy, don't be lazy. It's time to go to the masjid. Wash your face and pick up the... For Carol Ann and Charlotte, being female and Muslim in Cork involves a physical representation of their faith. The hijab. But... Three years ago, I came back from, I was living in London for 20 odd years. And um, I used to take, get to Heathrow Airport and take off the scarf um, come home to Ireland and for holidays, whatever, then go back and put on the scarf again back when I got to Heathrow. It was like I had two personas. And that took, um, I think that was four years ago, I actually started wearing it to, to Ireland. So, in other words, it was 12 years before I actually started to Ireland, you know, so 
Um, and it is a big thing because it's, um, I mean, the reaction in London, um, I wouldn't say all the time, but some of the time you could get, you know, pretty strong reactions to it. Um, and I knew, I mean, you know what the Cork people are like, they're very past remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like um, um, I just wanted to put it off, and I kind of thought, well, I know my mum didn't like me wearing it, so I kind of um, felt, well, this was her turf, you know. So um, when I come home, that's uh, you know, do what she wants. But um, and but when she came to visit me, I was like, well, this is my turf, you know, <laughs> you'll have to put up with it. You know, and, and it was a shock for her the first time she came over and I met her at the airport wearing it. Um, I mean, I didn't realise how much until afterwards um, when I came home and I overheard her speaking to my my dad. Um, and it, when I came back um, to live, um, we were staying with my parents for, um, for a few months and um, that's when the friction really started. Uh, I began to realise just how much it did upset her. And both her and my dad. Um, but was it the hijab or was it the Muslim? No, it was the hijab. The hijab. See, it's amazing. It was, it was they'll the accept image. you're Muslim. They'll accept I mean, you bringing your children up Muslim. People have no problem with that. It's okay. the image. It's that, the hijab. I don't know why. It's just that causes the problem. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a bit of fabric, <laughs> you know, you think, you know, and I remember my mum was in the, the, you know, in the 60s and 70s wearing a scarf. I mean, it's just the same no, thing. Yeah, really. my mother's mother, yeah. like, till the day she died, she always wore a headscarf. You know? And yeah. you, you kind of think we should be accepting, but it is like, I mean, I still, as I say, I, I wear my hats, my baseball hats, my woolly hats in the winter. I don't go out without a hat. Um... But I know within myself, if I turned up a certain situations in a hijab, whereas, yeah, it's the odd time I know I went, my mum's in hospital, I went to visit her recently, and she's just like, would you ever take that out? It's very hot today. And I was like, no, thanks. Then again, as I said, when I saw, um, when my husband was being buried and his funeral here at the mosque, I, I was just astonished. Um, to turn up here. And I remember when I turned up initially, there was the kids' friends from the grammar school in Bandon, the young girls and the boys, and all the girls standing there struggling, trying to put on hijabs. And I just, it just was so... You just yeah. really felt, oh, my God, you know, they're really... In, and one of the ladies, Muslim ladies, went up and said, you know, you don't have to wear them. And then I kind of stood, and as people came, I approached them and, you know, I've seen my aunts and, and friends and um, the, the younger kids go to Bandon Bridge and the whole, all the teaching staff, all the staff turned up. And it was to see all of them turn up in hijabs and I, I go on a walking group and um, we, we do it every Wednesday and, you know, I saw my walking group turn up and I actually walked up to them and said, would you ever take them off? You look like a pack of... <laughs> because it's just so strange. But yet afterwards, when you thought about it, you just thought, gosh, you know, that was absolutely... In, in one way, it just said to me what Irish people can be like. Mm. And even when they were told, don't do it. You know, you don't have to do it. We as Muslims, we have to wear it. But nobody took it off. They all, they all went and put it on. And, you know, and you, I asked them afterwards, they said, no, Charlotte, it was out of respect for Morshed that we did it. Mm. And it, it tells that sometimes... Religion doesn't have to be the barrier we make it. Yeah. It really, really doesn't. And it's an 
unusual times you see that. A couple of weeks later, it's now the middle of winter. I'm back outside the mosque with Isa, who's getting ready for Friday prayer. As a place of worship, it's hard to believe how noisy it can get here. It's really, we're forced to do it. Like, we can't, we don't have a mosque here in Cork. I mean, to rent a building big enough for us, we have to go to the industrial estate if we don't own a bit of land. So it's not ideal for us, you know. And uh, the, the, the parking situation makes it more difficult. People are, are starting to come now. Um, as I said, now there'll be a kind of swell. Even up to the end of the prayer, I mean, the prayer will go on till 10 to 2 and there'll still be people arriving, you know. There'll still be people arriving, they'll still be running to make the prayer, probably from work, you know. I mean, I, I think in, in Cork, the, like, let's say the immigrant Muslim population, as opposed to the native Irish, would be divided, like, let's say, it'd be 50% people who work and 50% people who are refugees who wouldn't work, you know. So, you know, I mean, maybe the, the people refugees would kind of be here early, or college students as well, you know. Let's say refugees and college students would have a very easy time getting out to come to prayer, it's no problem. And then people coming from work would find it difficult. And as well, like, let's say if you're a GP, a doctor, let's say there's a lot of Muslim GPs in Cork, I mean, they might be with a patient, they just can't drop tools and leave. They have to, they have to do their work as best they can, you know. So I suppose if somebody makes an effort, they're never considered, they're never considered, what well, I'd say, bad, like, you know, they're never considered like that if they're making an effort to come. I mean, if somebody is at home all day and they've all day to come and they're not coming, that's probably a different um, kettle of fish, you know. Do you mind me saying, you have a great enthusiasm for, for Islam. You know, how enthusiastic were you for, for Catholicism and, and what's the difference in you? Um... I, it's, it, I feel it's just something that's true and it's something I can it's something that has answers and I can grasp hold of I think in Catholicism there's um, too much kind of mysteries and you don't actually understand why you're why you're praying or why you should uh, be a good person or why you should uh, why you should um, be a pioneer or, or anything like that, like that you know you don't understand the actual why like you know whereas I think in Islam it's explained to you why you know that we're, we're just a creation, we're only here for a short time. Our life has to have purpose, it has to have meaning, you know. And at Friday prayer, what, what kind of things are, are spoken about in the, in the sermon then at Friday prayer? I'm just guessing now, I don't know myself, but probably today there might be some, uh, a sermon about Hajj, you know, the pilgrimage, because this is the time for Hajj. Like, I'm, I'm fasting myself today, and I'm, I'll, I'll try to fast for the whole week, you know, because if you don't go on Hajj, you don't have to fast, but it's good if you do, you know. It's, it's an extra, it's a, it's a good deed if you do it during this time, you know. So I presume it'll be about that, but the sermon could be about pretty much anything, being, being good to your neighbour, um, being, you know, fitting in with the community, not fitting in, but, um, you know, having a positive influence in the community, prayer, maybe some, some part, you know, how to pray properly, how to fast properly, especially during Ramadan. Your tongue maybe speaking, the way you speak is very important in our religion. I've heard that before about gossip particularly, is it? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all forms of talk, backbiting, gossip, telling lies about people, this, this is considered a very, very big sin in, in Islam, you know? If you use it badly, that is, as opposed to using it in a constructive manner. You talked about the Hajj as well. Mm. Can you just explain for people what the Hajj is? The, the Hajj is the annual pilgrimage to Mecca. It's um, a pillar of our faith. All Muslims 
have to intend to make this pilgrimage once in their lifetime. And um, it's considered, once you perform the Hajj, that you come out like you're newborn, like you're, you, you come out without any sins, you know, and it renews your faith and you're following in the way of the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you know. You ask forgiveness for your sins, you, you know, there, there's a lot of rights that I, I'm not sure of because I've never done it, but you have to follow these rights. I don't think there's that many, you know, I don't think it's that complicated, but you have to follow these rights. If you, if you don't follow these rights, your hajj isn't accepted and you've wasted basically your hajj, you know. I mean, if I can do it next year, I will. I haven't been able to do it in previous years um, because of work commitments, family commitments and all that, but I definitely intend to do it sooner rather than later, you know. And is it is it expensive in that, or is it? Can you can you? Well, get for an Irish person, it's it's free because the um, you can get it through uh, the ICCI, the Islamic Cultural Centre in Dublin. A certain number can get a free Hajj every year, you know, and it it will only cost them spending money. But for people outside, for people who aren't Irish, it's very expensive. It's three or four thousand euro. I think it's four thousand euro this year. It seems to go up every year, you know. So uh, time is moving on, is it? Yeah, yeah. We should move on there. Just um, Tim Harris, he's just making a documentary for RT, you know. So I met met you the last day, yeah. Yes, yes. And I spoke to all he's, yeah. Great, thanks. Before people come into the mosque, they take off their shoes, and that's for cleanliness, you know, because you have dirt and muck in your shoes, and the mosque should be a place of uh, cleanliness, you know. And as well, when we come in, um, let's say there's a, a shoe rack. And right there, there's a place here for making ablutions. So we make ablutions, so yeah, we're clean when we pray, you know. We have to make, we have to clean ourselves before we pray. And just wash your hands and face, is it? Or? We wash hands, face, nose, mouth, uh, up to the elbow. And, you know, that, that's pretty much it. To, the, uh, to all the Muslim believers who are alive and who are dead and who recently, and if we remind ourselves, if you look at the past, or, or the people who did not perform Hajj, they should come closer to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala repentance. Friday prayer is the highlight of the Muslim week. Muslim men are required to attend. The Imam leads the prayer and delivers a sermon. They were alive and now we miss him at this time. This reminds you with the, with the death, with every day passed through your life, you come closer to Allah subhanahu wa At the end, um, they're collecting donations and their children playing around the place and uh, people might be saying some extra prayers and just saying, socialising, saying hi to each other. And how many people do you think are here? Well, um, maybe five, six hundred, I would think, you know. Just a quick estimate, five, six hundred. And they're from every country, really, aren't they? Yeah, from pretty much everywhere, you know. Everywhere, I mean, even in a lot of countries in Europe, like Albania and uh, yeah, I think France. that's a, that guy, he's a barber over there, I think he's from Bosnia, I remember right? He yeah, got yeah. my hair a while back. Bosnia yeah. and Turkey. And it's funny because like, some of those places, like Turkey and Bosnia, they actually don't know anything about Islam. And a lot of them became uh, serious about Islam when they came to Ireland. You know, I know this for a fact. Like, 
that a lot of them wouldn't have prayed much or anything, you know, because they're ruled by communist regimes, Albania, Chechnya and um, Bosnia, they're ruled by communist regimes and uh, people wouldn't have prayed much. Turkey, even Turkey is a very secular society, you know. So some of them didn't, some of them didn't know how to pray, even though they were born to, let's say, people of Muslim names and all that, you know. And why do you think that is? Why do you think they, they changed when they came to Ireland? Um, I mean, you know, it's hard to say, I suppose. I suppose maybe the atmosphere here, different cultures, they might see Islam better than they saw at home, you know, as being a multiracial, multi-ethnic religion that everybody is welcome. Maybe they fall in hard times, maybe they had a marriage that broke down and, you know, they turned back to their religion, you know. But just the only thing was the, um, the, the sermon he gave. You know, I said to you beforehand that it's usually Arabic first and then English, but um, he's standing in for the usual Iman, so he, he gave, um, he gave like English and Arabic sort of interspersed throughout, you know. But it was about the same time, about 40 minutes for the sermon, wrote about that, and it was about Hajj as I, as I thought it would be, you know. Um, and Hajj is coming up in the next week, yeah. you know, the big day is, is next weekend, is it? Yeah, next weekend, yeah. And what's that day called? Well, the, one day is called Arafah. That's the last day of, um, like, let's say that, that's the last day before Eid, and then Eid Lada is the big, the biggest day, you know. That's the very big day, you know. That's the, that's when we'll have our um, Christmas, you know, like festival, whatever. We'll have that, you know, and there may be maybe two thousand Muslims present at that, you know. So, if you want to get going there, yeah, I have to go into town do a few things. When we stand to pray, um, even though you're in a row of maybe 20 people, it's between you and God. Mm. Okay, there's somebody leading the prayer, but it's not like the priest who is conducting the prayer. Mm. You know, it's between, we don't have to go through anybody. It's you and God there between. That's, 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 it. that's the simplicity of it. That's the, for, for me, that was the fundamental decision that made me think, yeah, this is this is it. I mean, I came, I moved to Summerstown when I was five, and um, um, I'm Cork born and bred. I was born in the Bonds, and <laughs> you know, um, so it's I'm from Cork, and I'm, I we used to go to mass on Sundays, and um, you know, even as, as a teenager, we used to hang out at the church, even though we mightn't go in, we used to still go up to the up to the church on a Sunday. It, you know, it was part of life. It was just, you know, fundamental. Even But at the day I left school, I made a conscious decision then that I'm not going to do this anymore because I felt, well, now if I'm left school, I've considered an adult, so I'm making this decision for myself. Because I, I still talked to God, but in terms of the... The rituals of Christianity and the, I mean, as a, as a child, I used to, you know, have the statue of the Virgin Mary and make my May altar and, you know, pick all the May flowers and stuff and have the little candle. But it, it was just what other people were doing, you know. I remember when I went to London, I went to London about, I was 19, 20. Somebody came up to me in the street, one of these, you know, um, one of these evangelists, you know, trying to bring me to their church and they said, um, do you believe in God? And I, I said, yes, I do, but I don't know what religion he is. And he just, he, he didn't, couldn't, he couldn't answer. Couldn't answer what, you know, it was just, okay. And he walked away. 
you know? So um, we ask God directly to help us. Um, we don't ask, you know, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. We don't ask Jesus. We don't ask Moses, peace be upon them. It was, we just, or Mary, you go know, directly we to go God. directly to God. Um, I mean, um, in the Gospels, um, Jesus said, gave the prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer. It was a direct supplication to God. He didn't say, pray, th- pray to me. He said, pray to God. I mean, when Jesus, peace be upon him, when he prostrated, he prostrated to God. He didn't prostrate to himself. Yeah, yeah. He said, I can do nothing but by the, by the permission of he who sent me. Mm-hmm. So to us, it's, we pray directly to the creator, the provider, you know, that's, that's the fundamental. And I think in one sense, when, when, when I started, one of the things, I was brought up in, in the house because my father is Catholic, but he didn't go to mass or anything. And he used to go for communions, confirmations, and I suppose when we were baptized. But, you know, I remember my mom saying to him, oh, you must go to confession. And he used, you know, since I was a toddler right up, always say, I don't need to go to a man to tell my sins. I'll talk to the man above directly myself. So I think in my own subconscious, it, it was always this thing like, you know, why should you go to another man? Why can't you talk directly to God? And that's what Islam gave me. Mm-hmm. I would have went to Mass every morning and Lent. It was everything in my life. And then, as I say, I started asking these friends questions. And um, as I said, when I met my husband, he would never tell me anything. He let me discover for myself. Um, they had started changing things, like taking the Holy Communion in your own hands and, you know, things that you were brought up as a child. I know, like if, you know, when the communion got stuck to your palate and your mother would eye you coming down and if you dare to put your finger up, you'd get a, such a trashing. And then suddenly, you know, this next-door neighbour that you knew was the right so-and-so could give it to you. You're kind of like, how can they change these things? And, it, like it was, everything, I took my pledge for my confirmation. I have never broken that to this day. You know, um, but the things I had started to question in Christianity, I found those answers in Islam. And, I mean, people say to me, you know, you, you turned from your God... I didn't. I still believe in the same God. I still pray to the same God that I always pray to, but I just do it differently. I personally haven't come across many situations that have been treated badly. It's um, the women that um, are the most uh, hostile. Um, I mean, I've been sworn at. I mean, um, there was a woman coming out of, uh, I've said it before, come out of St. Francis Church, Ash Wednesday, big, you know, the, the ash cross on her forehead. And she called me a stooping effing bitch. I mean, she came down the steps of the church, straight out the door, and swore at me. And I thought, very Christian. <laughs> you know, so... Um, men, I find... Um, Non-Muslim men have more respect. They actually give me more respect than they would a non-Muslim woman. Mm. Um, I mean, I've been in situations where there's been several non-Muslim women... And the man swears, and he'll say sorry to me. He'll apologize to me, mm. but he won't say. He just it's like it's okay for the re- the other one, you know. Um, but I would think in general, Ireland is pretty good. And again, like these are small things you become very aware of as a Muslim woman. 
not stroll behind your husband. Yes, <laughs> because, because there's this impression that we, women uh, walk most behind women, men. We're never supposed to be three steps behind him. That's why I said to my husband, I mean, come it's just, back here, or <laughs> yeah. you know, or you make sure you walk in front of him. Or, yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's it's normal. I mean, I'm strolling around looking at windows when he's off. You know, it's not doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, you would you come back? Wait for me. Wait for me. It's yeah. like. Because we're and conscious of what people are thinking. Like, because the thing is, we were on the other side at one point, so we know we what, know they what were they're thinking. Because we used to think yeah. it ourselves. Yeah. You, Do you know, and even we, I remember the first time I've ever seen anyone wear the niqab, which is the full face covering with just the eyes out. And she's an Irish sister. Like, as a Muslim, I was very curious to see, you know, underneath the niqab. You know, it, we think the same still. Like, it's not just because we're Muslim, yeah. we don't. Like, I'm just, I'm just curious about. Walking behind your husband, is that? <laughs> it's, it's no, nowhere. it's, 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 it's a cultural, so, it's a cultural thing in some country. Yes, that I, I have heard of it in some uh, some countries that it, but it's not Islam. It's not it's to do with Islam. Islam. Three it's steps a behind. culture. It's and the, where we said last week, you have to learn to distinguish between Islam and, and the, culture. And the culture, because these are things that are brought in, the, and people assume it's to do with. The religion, and it's not. It's it's probably one country, and I mean, Islam goes from Morocco through Africa right across to Indonesia and beyond, and all these countries in between. They have their own cultures, their own. Uh, so all these things, they can't all be. They all have little added little bits onto the the religion, and people assume that in this country is. So it must be in every all the Muslim or countries. Or it's it's there before the Prophet came. Some yeah. of the, the the traditions are there beforehand, and then yeah. when he came, he verified them. But because it's been happening, they think it's correct that it, it, it's Islamic, but actually it's not. Sometimes it's just the culture, it's just and culture. it's very difficult for us sometimes when you're in their countries and something happens, and you know is that Islamically that's wrong, but because yeah. you're not a born Muslim. They don't. They won't take they you. Take you serious. Um, who she? Correcting who, who do they know? Correcting them. Where? Um, I mean, I went to visit my um, my husband's family in Algeria, and I mean, in Isla Islam, gossip is just something you don't do. Backbiting in in the Quran, it's mentioned as like eating the flesh of your brother. It's just you know you just don't do it, and in some. <laughs> Some parts of the Middle East, I mean, the gossip is unbelievable. And um, I tried to tell them, look, just be careful because um, it's the one of the main things that will take women to to hell. You know, it, it's it, it's the worst thing. The thing, the, the tongue is the most dangerous thing for us. And um, and I tried to tell them to be careful and it was like, Suddenly they all shut up and they left the room, <laughs> you know. So they they won't take it from me because, you know, I'm the new Muslim, and uh, or what do you know? Yeah, exactly. A month or so later, I'm on my final visit to the mosque in Cork, which also serves as a social centre for the Islamic community. On this Sunday afternoon, I arrived to find an Egyptian group who were on a tour of the mosques in Ireland. This, this is called Nasheed. 
Nasheed is just kind of Arabic. It's Arabic music. Yeah. Okay, and, and the reason for it here today? Well, just having a celebration. Just there's no reason really, you know. Just to get together for people, and you know that's all. Just to get together, we have get togethers every every month, every two months, and for kids to run around, you know. I mean, it's better than I mean, you know, we can't go to pub and all this, so this is like kind of celebration for us, you know. Have some nice teas. And this is a song. It's not a particularly religious song or anything, is it, that he's singing? Or? I, I don't know. I don't speak Arabic, but I, I presume it is. You know, it usually be it usually be to do with uh, Allah or Muhammad, or usually to do that. You know. You said to me, Charlotte, the, the first time we spoke, actually, that that everything changed after September the 11th. Yeah, people's attitude to you. Mm. You know, a suspicion. Yeah. The people that knew you very well weren't, but, you know, I, I, I can only go on the basis of my husband, and he travelled worldwide. I mean, he was a captain, so he'd have been in and out of countries. The Czechs became more um, after September the 11th. Like, you'll hear, you know, you talk to people, and they've been, you know, in groups going through airports, and the Muslims will be pulled out, and... Um, you know, with me, I married a foreigner, and that was it. But after September the 11th, oh, she's married to a Muslim. And sometimes you couldn't blame them because of what they actually were being fed, what they were but, seeing. It, yeah. It's not. And also, the, um, no disrespect, but a lot of the media has a certain slant on it. There is this kind of hint of Muslims are potential terrorists. Mm. You know, and it. People pick up on that, and people, um, but... Like, when, you're, when I travelled after September the 11th, I am so checking, just to make sure everything is just perfect. You might be just pulled, or, you know, just by mistake, if uh, the wrong things goes into your hand luggage, or that, whereas prior to that, you wouldn't have been as paranoid as what you are now when you're travelling. But also, some, sometimes if something happens abroad, you will find that there will be incidents against me, where, you know, things said or, you know, people spitting on you or people swearing at you or, you know, people saying, I'll oh, go back to Saudi Arabia. I said, I've never been to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you know, it's um, that sort of thing, you know. I, I suppose my husband, his job going in and out and because he worked and I mean in September the 11th on September the 11th he flew out of Cork he was flying to Amsterdam to fly to America to take a ship out of America you know as a Muslim but I know one of the conversations he'd had with the boys the older ones was like remember your colour and your religion will always kind of hold will go against you in a certain amount so obviously he must have felt something and I was saying to him, no, that's not He said, no, Charlotte, it will. It will always. You have to accept mm. that there will always be. You say, he was saying to Abdullah Second Sam, if you go for an interview, more often than not, um, you will be judged. But I just think it's phenomenal. There's a black man in the White House whose name is Barack Obama, Hussein Obama. I think it's phenomenal. I just... And oh. <laughs> You said, oh, in there we have to get that Irish in there. <laughs> I know, it's Obama, but still, although somebody has tracked down, apparently oh, no, he's got he's, some Irish. They had that Irish somewhere. song and all about him, so. 
you know, he's got the Islamic root and he's got the Irish, so what can go against you more than that? <laughs> yeah. Having met members of the Islamic community in Cork, I came to realise that while the place of worship and the rituals may seem exotic and unfamiliar, the similarities with Christian faiths became more apparent to me than the differences. The message seemed the same really. Live a good life, be kind to your neighbours and mind your tongue. I was struck by how it seems Muslims, Irish or otherwise, are treated differently based on people's perceptions of their faith. How misleading perceptions can be. The people I met were as much Cork as Muslim. If you've enjoyed this documentary, you might like to try other RTE Radio podcasts. Visit rte.ie forward slash radio forward slash podcast.